0: In association with the Omniverse Comics Guide, this is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from all over the world. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 314. Daniel Friedman, welcome to the Cave of Solitude. Thank you so much for joining us this week. How are you?
1: Good, good. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's been a real pleasure to be reading up on your uh, latest projects, both Bird King and Cali, that had been released in the summer, if I remember. Is that correct?
1: Um, Actually, they ended up shipping late. um, So I I, I think they've both been out as of about October. Um, So yeah, still pretty recent. Yeah, late September, early October, and then shipping delays here and there. And so, yeah, the books are finally like fully out now, though.
0: Beautiful Um, books. Thank you. I highly recommend, like, both me and my podcast partner, Dave, uh, love the work. Two completely different storytelling styles. We'll get into it in, in the rest of the conversation, but highly recommend everybody to check out Bird King and Callie from Dark Horse. But uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, Daniel, being the first time on the show, I need to know your origin story. What's the backstory of Daniel Friedman, the director, the, the writer, the artist? Tell us about yourself.
1: Um, how far back do you want me to go? All the way to the beginning? Or? Well,
0: well, you said you're, you're a lifelong native of Los Angeles. So, just your first memories of growing up in, in Los Angeles and what that, you know, the way the rest of the world sees such a central city that influences all of us like what was it like for you to grow up in a place like that
1: um well it's weird because you never you know you don't think about it when you're growing up it's just it's just your world and um i mean i i understand you know i can acknowledge that la is a uh unique place and um you know there's the obvious things like hollywood and all the rest of it is here and then i certainly grew up in that um i you know a lot of friends in school their parents would be, you know, directors, actors, producers, all that kind of stuff. Wow. And, um, and yeah, I mean, but again, it's, it's, um, it's not that exciting when, <laughs> when you grow up here, it's just right. kind of like, it's your backyard. And, and, you know, to this day, LA to me feels like a small town. Huh. Um, I mean, I've been to some small towns and I know it's not, but it, it just feels that way. Cause even though there's the, you know, the endless sprawl, it it really isn't that big in terms of the, the parts of the city that for everyone kind of is. Um, and so, yeah, in that way, it feels small. I mean, I still run into people that I grew up with. Um, That's cool. And yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, the Hollywood stuff was always just kind of, I guess, taken for granted. But um, the, the coolest part for me growing up was um, my friend in high school, um, managed to finagle his way into being, um, Shepard Fairey's assistant. He was the, you know, from Obey, uh, giant. And, um, and so when I was 16, I was going out, um, like, you know, assisting these guys with their, you know, wheat pasting and graffitiing and, um, all that kind of fun street art stuff. I mean, that was what I was into as a kid or as a teenager and um so that stuff was more exciting to me than any of the hollywood stuff um i uh after high school i i went to school in boston for a year at the uh, museum of fine arts um studying you know printmaking and and painting and art and um lasted about a year or so there i couldn't really take the fine art world Um, it wasn't what i was looking for and so i transferred back to la to go to art center uh, school of Design and started studying film, and kind of had the same problem there, although the opposite, where you know instead of it being fine art, it was like super commercial art, um, and so I didn't really fit in at either school. I, you know, I kind of had one foot in the art world and one foot in the commercial world, and um, managed to, uh, through some other friends, meet um, uh, comic book. Legend uh, Tom Coker, and um, when I was 20, um, and he had just gotten back from um, Bucharest, Romania, where he was—he had just finished shooting a horror movie for the producers of the Saw movies called Catacombs. And um, I was—I was just uh, smitten being around a real movie. That's all I really wanted to be around. You know, I was kind of sick of school, so I just kept, you know, bugging Tom. Um, you know, asking if, if they needed anything, you know, I just, if they need coffee, I just wanted to be around a real movie. If there was anything I could do to help, to let me know. And um, after a few weeks, you know, they were starting editing and they had some deadlines coming up and asked if I knew how to edit. And I said, yeah, of course. And I had never edited anything in my life. Um, I didn't know how to use, uh, you know, Final Cut or Avid or any of the editing software, but I just, if there was a chance for me to, you know, be involved and touch a real movie, I was going to do whatever I had to. So I went home that night and that weekend watched a whole bunch of tutorials on how to use the software. And I showed up on Monday morning and, uh, threw up in the bathroom and then got to work. And, um, that (laughs) one scene, uh, led to another scene, which led to another. And, And I eventually came on as an additional editor and that's how Tom and I met. And, um, so we spent, you know, the better part of a year in a dark little room together, uh, cutting this movie, and um, that ended up, you know, being quite a big moment for me because it was, you know, not only the beginning of my uh, kind of career as an editor, but um, but also my intro into comics because Tom, um, you know, he had taken a little break from comics at that point, but uh, he quickly circled back, and um, after spending that year together. Um, you know, I gave, I got up the courage to ask him to read my, the first script I'd ever written. And he, you know, liked it enough to ask if I wanted to develop something with him. And, um, so that ended up being, uh, undying love, um, which we ended up doing, we wrote it as a movie. Um, and then because we could, we turned it into a comic. Um, and that came out from image in 2011. And, um, while we were working on that, in order for me to kind of make some money, um, to eat. Cause I was like a young, you know, starving uh, kid at the time. Um, Tom brought me on to his Marvel work. And so I started coloring. She kind of showed me how to color, taught me how to color. And, um, I had my, uh, my art background previous to that. So, you know, he kind of showed me how to, you know, take that and apply it to comics. And, um, so yeah, I started coloring at Marvel, um, which was, Never really part of the plan for me, but was pretty awesome to be working on all these, you know, characters I'd grown up as a kid, uh, pretty obsessed with. And um, so, yeah, we're coloring at Marvel. We wrote Undying Love. We then turned it into a book. He did the, he drew it. I colored it. Um, and yeah, that that move, that movie is still in the works. Ten years, twelve years <laughs> later now. Um, And, you know, hopefully we've almost made the movie like six times and hopefully next year is the final time. We'll see. And um, but that was, yeah, I mean, that's basically how I got my my start. Um, So, yeah, kind of having one foot in film, one foot in comics. And from there, just um, kept working. Um, I, you know, I started cutting. You know everything I could get my hands on just if for no other reason to, to pay the bills I mean it was just a it was just a job at the time and um, managed to work on some cool projects as well as some terrible projects um, <laughs> probably the probably the coolest thing I did was was I got to edit um, this uh, David show documentary called dirty hands um, I'm not sure if, sure if you're familiar with David show he's another one of these kind of famous street artists who I mean he's actually become quite a prolific fine artist at this point but um cut that and fell in with dave and got invited by him to uh, film a hitchhiking trip for vice magazine called thumbs up um, so i was the cameraman and uh, me dave and and harry the co-host we hitchhiked from uh tijuana mexico all the way to the north pole of alaska so uh, <laughs> from uh it's incredible you know, from like Yeah, I mean, so I just kind of, I mean, I guess that's one of the things about being in L.A. that, you know, maybe I took for granted that looking back is pretty crazy was just, you know, having the opportunities to, like, meet or bump into all these different people from all these different worlds and and manage to, like, you know, do things with them. Um, So, yeah, after, you know, bouncing around in my 20s, doing all this other random stuff, um, you know, I kind of circled back to comics back in... I guess around 2018, um, and that's when I did Raiders with with Crom. Came out in 2020, right at the uh, height of <laughs> all the chaos and yeah. the pandemic and everything going on. So it was a tough time to release a book, but you know it kind of was like a sleeper hit, and people are still finding the book to this day. So um, yeah, and then Crom and I, you know, in 2020, after Raiders came out, we started doing Bird King and. Um, you know, this whole time that I've been, you know, all this other stuff was going on for seven years, we've been, Robert Samaline and I have been working on Kali, um, since 2014. So that book just was like a really slow drip. And, um, yeah. So anyway, there's my word salad. You know, I just, diary it all over the place. That's but, um, okay.
0: That was awesome. Yeah. It, but it was like, it was better than any Wikipedia page could ever describe your career. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I haven't. I haven't looked in a in a while. But last time I checked, I didn't have a Wikipedia page and or anything. So I don't think you um, don't know how you get one of those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you keep doing the work you're doing. You're gonna have one because it's gonna just. But it's an incredible journey because it was you wanting, thinking you wanted to do one thing, trying the next one, and then not finding where you fit in. You just went along with the where the journey would take you and you took advantage of wherever you found yourself and whoever you met you found the benefit of being in this now all of a sudden you're you're with a sh- famous street artist like where you find yourself in life is awesome just by trying to do something
1: yeah i mean my whole you know motto like when i started working on the catacombs movie was just like you know any time an opportunity presents itself regardless as if you have the skills or if you're ready or know what you're doing, you just always say yes, because, um, you know, I have, at this point, learned that opportunities don't, you know, always come, and so when they do, um, you jump on them, because, you you know, you you never know when they're going to pop up next, or if you'll get another one, so definitely take advantage of them, and yeah, so I guess that is what I did.
0: In a strange way, the chaos that ensued in the world, and the slow drip of Kali, and everything else kind of has a line at the perfect time for you to have two releases that people are enjoying. Like the reviews that people that are being shared about it are, are both really good projects. Like Kali's incredible. It's an incredible book.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if for no other reason, then, then I just think Robert is um, brilliant and uh, I feel so honored to, you know, having gotten to work with him and, and, um, done this book together, um, cause he's, yeah, he's just amazing. So,
0: um, getting like, I don't want to jump ahead to Callie, but having worked, we're going to get there cause I have questions about it, but having worked in fine art or studied fine art and then going to the complete opposite, what did you, what did having those two extremes at the beginning help you later on with? Did, it, did you see those things come to place like oh, I'm happy that I was exposed to that I, even though I didn't like it it's given me an advantage did that happen uh,
1: yeah I mean I can't say it hasn't I mean I guess what's what I would say is I mean you kind of said it a minute ago is like this outsider thing like you know I've never really fit in anywhere and, and um, I think that's been a big part of like my uh, you know creative journey or output it's just I've never really been able to like fit into any of the pre set molds. Um, And I've just always kind of done my own thing and it's, you know, it's rarely easy, but um, I wouldn't really change it. So, I mean, the way that I, you know, do my books is kind of unlike other from what I hear, how other people do their books. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll connect with an artist and we'll just produce the whole book or the majority of the book just between the two of us. And then um, we'll kind of, you know, take that out and find a home for it. But I don't, um, I don't like the (laughs) asking for permission, Um, you know, and again, I think because I've had such a hard time fitting into any of those molds or, you know, the way you're kind of, you know, quote, supposed to do things um, it's pushed me to just do things, you know, however I can my own way to get them done. And, you know, sometimes it takes years, like, you know, Collie's taken seven years, these Undying Love movies going on 12 years. But, um, but you know, it just stuff takes as long as it takes, I guess. Um, but, I mean, back to your question about, you know, art, fine art versus commercial art. Like, yeah, I didn't fit in at either school, and that, that really kind of set the tenor for me and the tone of, of um, just how I go about things, I guess. Um yeah. <laughs> but it's it, weird to look back on all of it, you know, and think about it. Um, which isn't I guess I don't do it very often. I just I try to keep barreling forward.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's it's the things that you didn't like, the things you didn't like, but you learned something about somehow be, can can become useful just because you had that exposure at once upon a time. So you got like That feel for it, just enough to inform your taste in, like, a a broader sense. Because, in a way, something like Kali is, it's like a blockbuster movie. It just doesn't stop. Like, it just goes. And you can't stop reading it. Like, you you have to read it in one sitting. It's that type of book. But it also feels like fine art. I don't know how to explain that. It has both of those appeals. So, I was wondering if that, it's just in your sensibility now to combine the two. To what you make. I
1: mean, it... Yeah, I mean, it must be kind of built in. Um, I mean, to talk about Kali specifically, um, I mean, I, I feel like Robert and I made Kali sort of, you know, in the face of like blockbuster movies. Um, you know, I, I, I don't disagree that it like, you know, would or could make a great movie, but that was never something that we talked about or planned on. Like, you know, Tom and I very much wanted to make Undying Love into a movie, and we did the book. Um, because we couldn't get the movie made and then the book ends up getting the movie made. Um, so it's just this kind of inside out process, but with Kali, I mean, Robert and I just set out to do what we thought was the coolest, you know, funnest, best story we could do. Um, and we didn't really have any other, uh, you know, goals outside of just doing the book. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think Robert is such a brilliant artist and he has a similar kind of background and, you know, he's totally self-taught. Um, he couldn't get into art school, um, when he applied. And so he just, you know, drew and drew for, for years until he honed his craft and, um, started, you know, getting work and, you know, he, he works in video games. He's an art director in the game world. And so comics are kind of just a hobby, a passion project for him. So, um, yeah, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just how you were able to combine the like mm. the the style of your book has a fine art feel, but also it's, it has a very commercially appealing aesthetic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, again, having having one foot in each world, I'm 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 really drawn towards craftsmanship yeah. and you know aesthetics and and really you know reaching to, to be the, you know, the best or do the best work in whatever subgenre or, or category. And I, you know, I think having the fine art background in terms of just being exposed to so much different art from, from history and from all around the world while I was there and, um, you know, getting that, that traditional art education and that, that foundation um, while, you know, always really just, wanting to make, um, uh, you know, also being, I guess being drawn towards like the opposite, which would be like, you know, what would be called, you know, the grindhouse or kind of trash cinema, um, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's where Kali comes from for Robert and I is like, we both love all those, like, you know, I don't even know if you could call them B movies. They're like C and D movies, like (laughs) mostly from the seventies and eighties, you have all this drive-in stuff and this Euro trash, (laughs) um, just, you know stuff that is has the the it's the kind of movie where the poster that is so awesome it has this like painted poster and it's like you know uh bronx warriors or or uh switchblade sisters or something and the movies never ever are as good (laughs) as the posters um you know or the titles and so i you know we just wanted to kind of take those aesthetics and do something on a higher level with them um that was kind of like the impetus for Kali. I mean, our touch points for Kali were like Sergio Leone and Russ Meyer. Um, So, you know, again, you're high and the low or, you know, kind of polar opposites in terms of um, taste or (laughs) quality. Um, And yeah, just, just bringing it all together. I mean, not really being snobby or, uh, you know, being able to combine like, you know, classical traditional art with, with the trash and
0: and, <laughs> and find the, the you know, where those things meet, I guess. Yeah. Um, you guys did a great so, job.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it, again, it was a, a long ride. And I mean, it's ironic that the book, you know, you can read the book in like 45 minutes, an hour, because um, it is so propulsive. And like, you know, and we, when we started the book in 2014, we said, you know, let's just essentially do like not like a nonstop action sequence.
0: Yeah, um, that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, and you know, and then a year later, uh, Mad Max: Fury Road came out, and it was kind of validating to see that that would work. Um, you know, because like, I mean, I think Fury Road is one of, if not the best, you know, action movies made. So, um, you know, because it kind of does fly in the face of like, you know, what you're supposed to do or the rules of like, you know, TV and film. You're not supposed to just have uh, nonstop action. You're supposed to have these things called scenes and set up your characters and your world and all that. And it's, I don't, not that we don't do those things. It's just that we do them on the move. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so the goal was to like create like a kinetic experience through still images. Um, and so that was always what drove us, you know, every <clears throat> every page was just like, uh, yeah, what can we do here? And like, you know, we, we, we worked quite a bit on like, in terms of the, the, you know, laying it all out and boarding it all and figuring out the angles. And um, we had a really good simpatico thing going on there. And um, it just, yeah, I think it's, it worked. It it worked out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely did. You guys not nailed it. In relation to Callie, um, it's, it's, and you having worked both in the films and editing and putting things together, people often say, and I don't know if this is true, but you'll you you'd be able to answer this, that comics are just like a storyboard for a movie. It's like the same thing. Do you find that to be true, or is there a, a distinct difference?
1: I think in general, no, actually. Um, I think they operate differently. I mean, I think that what Robert and I did with Kali was try to merge those things a little bit more, and, and I definitely... my. Editing background is something I'm trying to bring to the page, which we can, we can talk about that. Um, but I think in, in, for the most part, most of the time, like the pace, pacing of a comic and the, the, you know, what works on the page doesn't necessarily translate. Um, and like storyboards are very different than, than sequential images yeah. or, you know, comic book pages. I agree. Um, also cause you're dealing with the different panel sizes Um, and a different sense. I mean, the, the thing that I like about comics is that even more so than film is the ability to manipulate time, you know, you can, between two different pictures, you can have a thousand years pass or nothing, no time can pass. Um, and so you even, it's like, you know, through editing and with, with film, you have that power to manipulate time, but with, with static images, you, it's like an even greater, uh you know, ability to manipulate them and, and, you know, there's things like, you know, like Watchmen or I'm trying to, I'm blanking now on, on what else to call up, but like where time, you know, I mean, that's such a big part of something like Watchmen where you get to manipulate time because of, you know, what Dr. Manhattan can do and his perception of reality. And so, you know, that stuff didn't work as well in the movie as it does in the book. And I mean, (laughs) <laughs> it's a whole separate conversation, but, um, but no, you're um, absolutely but yes, right. So, yeah.
0: There's, so I, I don't think
1: they're the same. I think they're quite different. Um, and you know, the experience of like doing the undying love comic book, um, was interesting because we wrote it as a screenplay. We then adapted that screenplay into comic format and then we got kind of stuck at the studio you know, readapting the book for film. So it was this kind of like backwards reverse engineering education in, um, you know, the studio method and like, you know, perception of what, how a, how a story should be told. Um, and it's just funny because what everyone loved about undying love was that it didn't, it just started kind of similar to Kali. I mean, not as, not mm-hmm. as fast, but it, we don't have a first act, in undying love. And everyone said, Oh, it's so cool. It just starts in the second act. And then what did they do for years? Like they forced us to like try to create a first act. So there's just this like weird thing that happens there. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, um, I think I just went in a big circle.
0: No, no, it's, it's perfect. (laughs) You, you completely answered the question because you got into a little bit more of the nuances of, when people are are trying to put something together in motion picture as opposed... To, I mean, it's so simple, but it's a perfect example of the manipulation of time from one panel to the next, one... Page, like, you really can... And when it's done well, you feel that part of the story, the impact when it's done right. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, it's like that's when things flow. Yes. Um, and, like, I, I do look for that in books. And I think, you know, I think European books and manga do a better job at creating that sense of like time and rhythm than a lot of American books do. There's kind of a different quality to like American books. Like manga has this, it feels like it just, it flows more like a TV show or a movie does. Um, And I think like American books tend to read more like, like, uh, like comic strips in a way. They don't have that same sense of like, spatial and like rhythm of and, and uh, sense of time hmm. passing they're not as like they're not as linear um you know like if i think about like akira which is like one of my favorite books like you know otomo will spend like 60 80 pages on like one action scene if not an entire you know volume but if you look at i think when you look at a lot of american books like you know, the fight scene will be broken down into, like, two, three, four pages. There'll, there'll be kind of a lot of big splashes, but you don't see as much of the, like, in-between actions. Um, you know, it's more almost like a highlight reel of right. the action scene than being able to, like, get into the beat-by-beat beat of it. And gotcha. so I think coming from, you know, editing, I'm really attracted to, like, those little beats and those little moments, and that's kind of where I find a lot of, like, the joy is like creating those little details and moments and creating that like connective tissue. And that was definitely something that we, we tried to do in Kali was like, you know, make sure that every panel like linked to the next panel so that it wasn't, you know, about a a jump in time. It was just like a, you know, essentially moving the camera to capture the next moment. Right. Um, And, you know, a, a lot of that has to do with like page economy. Like, especially when you're dealing with single issues in like the 22 page format, like you don't really have the space and time to, to to do an action scene over 30 or 40 pages, because you have so many other things to do, like tell your story and have all your scenes and all your characters talking. Um, And so, you know, there are other demands that I think get in the way of that. And so, I mean, I, I, that is what kind of draws me more towards European and and manga um, comics. So yeah, I mean, it's funny. People have said that like is like a European book in America. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of true, but it's it's also nothing like a you know, a French or Italian volume. Um,
0: <laughs> it no, it's completely unique. And I think that's the the pleasure of it, is that it is what Dark Horse does so well is that they really are uh, they format things in a way. That give you the best reading experience and they do the the writer and the artist justice in how they present it to you as a like a, re, a real reader not just a collector um, in in the case of Kali it didn't come out in single issue and it didn't come out in a trade it came out in the deluxe library sized edition that Dark Horse does it's very nice was that your choice was that Dark Horse uh, deciding that what why did that feel like the best decision
1: um, I mean, it's funny because Kali was written as a five issue miniseries like it is. I mean, I think if you go through the book, you can probably, you know, demarcate like where the issues would end and sure. the next issue would begin, um, you know. But then because the book took so long to complete, um, you know, I knew that because of the, the pace that we were completing pages and getting the book done, we weren't going to ever be able to hit a five month uh, schedule unless the book was done. So we we basically produced, I think, you know, about 100 of 130 pages before we... I mean, no one saw this thing for seven years. Robert and I just tinkered on it for, you know, kind of no one knew about it. And then, you know, after we had about 100 pages in the can, um, you know, that's when I went to Dark Horse and said, would you guys be interested? And they said yes. <laughs> um, and so then we started talking about, you know, release. And... I asked if they would publish it in like an oversized hardcover. Um, and they, you know, thinking they would do the, like, the slightly bigger hardcover size. And then they came back and said, why don't we do it in this like double XL format? Um, and I, you know, was very, very happy. I didn't, I mean, I was like, I was looking on my shelf and I couldn't even find a book that was this big, um, you know, Mm -hmm. from any of the other publishers, like the, uh, you know, cause they were, it's like, it's 12.6 inches tall or something. It's almost 13 inches tall. So I was really curious what it was going to look like, um, in print. And, uh, I mean it, the book is, I mean, they did it such a beautiful job printing it. Um, it, it just looks great. So, um, yeah, a little bit of both. I, I asked and then they made it, they took my request and made it even better.
0: And it makes it, it does give it that shelf appeal because, um, there isn't a trade before it. It's not like one of those things like since you liked it in single issue, we made it a deluxe. Now it's just like this is it. Check this out.
1: You yeah, know. I mean, I think it's you know because it's a single book, um, it kind of you know deserves to just live in this, just be this format. I mean, there's no plans to release a trade or anything else. Like this is just it. Um, so I'm 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 happy with it. I mean I. You know, we did did the cover after finding out the size we were going to, you know, have the book released in. And so we, you know, very purposefully designed the cover to um, take advantage of that height. And, um, you know, it just has the single image of Kali looking back over her shoulder. And, you know, I always like this idea that, like, you know, she would be standing over everybody on the shelf.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's what it feels like. Because
1: she's such a force of nature. um, Yeah. And so I, you know, I like the idea that she would just kind of be towering on the shelf, um, and you, you know, you walk into the store and you see her from across the room. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's really it's been really cool to walk into sh- to shops and like see all the different places the book is, is put, and it always seems to kind of draw the eye. So yeah, I guess it worked.
0: No, you did a you guys did a great job. What you know what we didn't do is give people the elevator pitch of the book. It's action complete action it's a revenge story but tell us you tell us what it is
1: Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the back of the book because otherwise I'll ramble for 15 (laughs) minutes Um, (laughs) it says uh, stabbed in the back poisoned and left for dead by her own biker gang Kali sets off on a one way road of vengeance across a war torn desert battlefield with impending doom coursing through her veins and a fascist army hot on her tail Kali will stop at nothing to get her revenge even if it's the last thing she ever
0: does, boom! Like, how do you not want to know the rest of that story?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: what inspired yeah, exactly. it? What inspired it? The the title character, because Kali also has the reference to the Hindu goddess that is just on a path of destruction, right? I think of uh, the Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. They pray to Kali, right? It was that death cult.
1: Yeah, I don't remember if they're praying to Kali in that. Um, but but yeah, it's definitely did, like a death cult.
0: Um, is that where the name I mean, comes I, from?
1: Um, the from the Hindu goddess, yes, not from Indiana. Jones. Yes,
0: from the Hindu um, goddess. That's <laughs> what I mean.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think if you, I mean, I, I've always had a huge interest in in mythology, and yeah. like if you look at something like Undying Love, like Tom and I spent a lot of time researching Chinese mythology, mm-hmm. and so we, you know, we really wanted to include because there's there's so much cool stuff out there in the world that like is not, no one knows about it or it's not really ever, uh, you know, accurately depicted or, or researched. And um, I get sick of seeing the same tropes over and over again. So I always go digging, um, you know, for, for inspiration, for education, for, for whatever. And so with Kali, I mean, I, it's, I don't exactly remember again, cause it's been so long where or why it's, it's, the Hindu goddess. I mean, I think it had something to do with like creating this character, this, this kind of force of nature who won't be stopped. And I may have been reading, um, about Kali and doing some, some research into kind of Hindu mythology. Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I think if you, if you read the actual, you know, Kali mythos, um, we, I, there is an attempt to kind of parallel some of those themes and, um, you know, arcs of, of her story. And, um, you know, while also, well, you know, it's not a one for one thing, but it is definitely influenced by the, the real Kali mythology. Um, cause she's not only the, the goddess of destruction, she's the goddess of change. Um, you know, it's not that necessarily she's the end of the world. It's that she's going to destroy things so that there can be something else born. Um, and so she's, she's very much like a kind of transitional, figure in that way, um, transformative energy. And, um, and so, yeah, taking that, combining that with, um, you know, all of that kind of fun B movie grindhouse, uh, aesthetics and, you know, wanting to create this, you know, one large, you know, action sequence, um, all that stuff just kind of, you know, uh, yeah, mingled together and, it is what it is now it's Uh, i mean yeah
0: (laughs) the same feeling you get from when you watch kill bill it's the same feeling when you start this this book it's not the same type of story but it's that immediate like we're in this and it's not gonna stop yeah
1: yeah i mean people have like you know other people will do the you know it's like this versus this thing and i've heard a lot of people say it's like kill bill meets mad max and um, you know, I'm definitely not unhappy about those comparisons. Um, okay. That's I mean, you good. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> that's right. Um, cause so, you know how yeah, people I mean, feel you know, about those. What was that?
0: You know how people feel about those two pieces of art? Like they are a certain type, but when people, ho- they always hold it up in high regard. So to be, for your story to be a, a combination of both, it's, people are going to know what they're getting and it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be quality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing for me, quality. Um, you know, I, I don't it's it's like it's not necessarily a competitive thing. It's just like a, a personal drive to like want to do the best work. Um, and yeah, I think Robert has that. I think Crom has that. I know Tom has it. It's you know, it's not it's people might call it like perfectionism. Um, but I think for all of us, it's just a matter of like wanting to do the best work we can and, and aim really high. Um,
0: I think that also though (laughs) pays respect, like it pays tribute to the art form itself when people are trying to make a good piece of work and no one's trying to make a bad piece of work, but sometimes you can get too full of yourself where you think everything you do is great. But when you're really... Like, we're going to pay homage to people who did this before us, that we want it to be good. I think that comes along with that sense of perfectionism, maybe. It's like tribute to the yeah. art itself. Like, we've got to do good work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also, I think, you know, has something to maybe do with that fine art experience of, like, yeah, being exposed go. to, like, you know, so much of, like, what's considered the best art in history. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, all of these amazing painters and I mean, it's interesting with you know with with Tom Crom and Robert, um, you know I've had long conversations with all of them about the you know traditional art that they're attracted to, um, you know so much so that like like Tom Cook, one of his favorite painters is John Singer Sargent, and that's why we named the hero of Undying Love John Sargent. This is after John Singer, and um, and so yeah, having this like awareness and education and appreciation for like, you know, all of these amazing painters and sculptors and and artists throughout time. I think it just, it it sets the bar high for, for us because we're, you know, we want to try to, you know, get as close to those guys as we can, um, or at least aim for that. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it's, we set a high bar for ourselves.
0: Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing when you, I, the way I see it is like if I was going to make something, In an art form that i loved i'd want to show it to a person who i respect within that art form and would you know i'd want them to like it i don't know if that's a valuable way to look at it but i'd want to make it good enough that i'd be confident to show them
1: yeah i mean also this stuff takes years i mean all of these books take you know at least one to two if not five to seven years (laughs) and so if you're going to put that much time and energy into a project like you it better damn be good because otherwise like you're not going to, you're going to feel like you, you know, you failed or you wasted the time. So, um, you know, because again, none of my projects are like being done on a monthly schedule. Like I, I, they, they live in the workshop or in the pipeline for, for years. And like my whole approach is like, it takes as long as it takes. I don't want to, I've seen, you know, like, when I had my experience like working at Marvel how like those deadlines can can rush art and then because the art's being rushed it's not as good as it could be and right. the book gets printed and then that lives forever and that's you know it can be like a stain on you if you're if you produce work that isn't of you know uh, high enough quality or, or what you want it to be you have to live with that and it, that just is like such a hard pill to swallow so I'd rather just take the time, um, to make sure it's, it's as good as it can be. Um, because again, these, these things are going to like, you know, especially now that everything's digital, like they're going to live forever. Yeah. Um, really? or at least <laughs> until it all blows up, <laughs> but, um, but you know, but all the other art is, is still around for the next yeah. couple hundred years. So if, if you're going to participate in that, you might as well try to make something that's worth yeah. preserving
0: absolutely it took seven years to make you say um tell me what made you want to stick with the plan to finish this project and what did and and i heard i read a quote from you saying that you learned so much it was a very transformative time for you what what was it about that time
1: um i mean it's (laughs) it was never intended to take seven years i mean of course we thought it would take you know three or four maybe five years tops we do like one issue a year and then we couldn't, we didn't quite hit that schedule. Um, and so, I mean, what kept me going, like, you know, every couple of months I get a couple pages from Robert and I would just, just the art. I mean, it was just seeing the art. It was just the, the best thing in the world. I mean, you know, seeing these, these pages come in one or two at a time, three pages, um, and just seeing the story like inch forward, you know, it's like, two, three pages is like, you know, a minute in the world of Kali, but it just, it was just getting to, to, to work with Robert, to see this art, to be a part of it. And to like, you know, it wasn't, it was like, I never felt like it was about me. I was always just so, so stoked to be working with Robert because I just love his, his work so much. So that's what kept me going. It was like, you know, I just had to kind of be this cheerleader who, who kept Robert, kept go- kept him going um, while he had you know a million other things going on in his his life so um, it's just I just from the very first like couple drawings of Collie and from the beginning of working on this this book and developing it like I just knew it was special I knew it was going to be it, something different and um, so that's what kept me going was like I just knew it was was special I mean it's special to me it's special to Robert and I think you know, we managed to actually, like, create a pretty special piece, you know. Um, it's definitely different. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just so, you know, grateful in that way to have been able to do it, even if it did take this long.
0: Yeah. Highly rec- highest recommendation. My podcast partner, Dave, gave it a five-star rating on his review page, and he doesn't do that for many books. So that's, a, I mean, we're not a professional review site, but, you know, people who have uh, that... T- well, here, I'll
1: tell you this. I'll tell you this. The one, you know, quote, professional review site that I read a review on, like, I've, the, I've, the book has gotten, like, pretty glowing reviews from, like, everyone, except I did see one of these, you know, more mainstream sites that was, like, the only people that gave it a negative review, and... I could tell it was kind of BS because they kept referring to Robert as the writer and me as the artist. And so that told me they weren't even really paying that much attention. No, but um, it's, (laughs) I just thought that was uh, funny.
0: Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, Robert's art in it. It's phenomenal. I'll be honest. I was looking forward to reading it, but I liked it more than I expected. Like it's, it, it has that effect on you because you are immediately immersed in the world and the way that you, I, I'm not, I should have asked you before, but what were some of your, uh, did you grow up reading comic books? Were you a lifelong comic book fan? Um, not,
1: not, not too much, actually. Um, I didn't get that I, sense. I mean,
0: That's why I, I didn't really ask. I didn't get that sense. But yeah, your sense of comic book timing and honoring the, the artists that you're working with, like, where did that come from? Is that from the films?
1: No, I think it's just from, you know, my, I've always had a, a, an appreciation and an interest in, in art and in craftsmanship. And so I've always been drawn towards, you know, great painters, fantastic illustrators, you know, people like Bob Peake, um, I, and, uh, Robert McGinnis, you know, I just, it's like book covers, movie posters. That was always my, like, my first passion was like, you know, when I was like, 13, I wanted to be a. I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer because I wanted to make movie posters because that's what I was so drawn towards, um, in the book covers. And then I really, you know, I, it took me a long time to figure out that what I was really interested in was telling stories. And when I was doing my own artwork in, in college and stuff, like I was struggling so much to get what I wanted across to the viewer through a single image and. I realized that I had like these huge stories and I was trying to boil them down into these like single images. And, you know, that gave me an even, and I wasn't being very successful at it. And that gave me a greater an even greater appreciation for like what people like what Robert can do. Um, and so, you know, i just, I love art. Um, that's where, and so again, that's why I'm always like looking to work with the best artists I can, um, and, and create the best books I can, um, because I am attracted to like the best art. I mean, I'm just really into art and the craftsmanship behind the artwork, um, even more so than like, you know, what, what the context of it. And, um, so, I mean, I grew up, you know, reading comics, but, you know, as a kid, like in the nineties, you know, get, for me, getting to the comic book shop wasn't that easy. I had, you know, my dad would take me, you know, two or three times a year. Maybe I could convince him to take me to the comic shop on the weekend. I'd buy three or four or five books, you know, random stuff, just whatever jumped out at me on the shelf, you know? And so I had, you know, growing up, I had a stack of, you know, 20, 30 single issues that were basically like my entire, uh, you know, exposure to comics. I didn't, I never like, I never read them. I just was all into the artwork, you know, right. and I was buying stuff like, you know, a lot of the image stuff was coming out then. I was buying stuff like young blood and, uh, mm-hmm. Patriot and, uh, Wild Cats And, you know, I was also a lot of X-Men stuff, a lot of like, uh, Deadpool and, and, uh, It was like I think all the mojo stuff was going on at the time with like Shatterstar and Domino. And so it's like I knew who all the Marvel characters were, but I didn't necessarily ever read any of the stories. I just I liked the characters. I liked the design. I liked the art. And and then when I got a little older, you know, in high school and started being able to go to the the shop myself, I always found myself much more drawn towards the like European stuff and then later manga um, and so, you know, like as soon as I set eyes on Mobius when I was like 17, that was it for me. Like I, you know, I've tried to seek out every Mobius book I can find. Um, there's, you know, a couple other European guys I really love. Um, you know, I got into all the like verse stuff. Um, you know, and then I, you know, I finally, you know, I always, I, I did grow up watching a lot of anime, but a lot of the anime I grew up on was like. You know, the feature films of the late 80s and 90s, it was like anime was a totally different beast then. It was like super mature, super violent, like the gore was unhinged, um, incredibly sexual, like just, Mm. I mean, anime was crazy and it's not like it is now. And, um, you know, so that, of course, led me to Akira, which is the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest animated movie we'll probably ever see. And then I eventually, you know, made my way to the manga and that's even better than the movie. Um, And so, yeah, I've always been like drawn towards art and that's, that pulled me towards European and manga. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't, I don't really have like a traditional comic. um, You've been comic book
0: adjacent, but you've never been completely immersed in the world.
1: I've never been like a superhero guy, I guess. Like I've never been a big two guy. Um, I mean, to this day, the majority of big two stuff I've read is, you know, all written by Frank Miller or Alan Moore or a couple Grant Morrison titles, which but even the Grant Morrison stuff I read is his like non, you know, not DC stuff. It's his like creator own stuff. Um, and so I don't know. I just kind of like, you know, I grew up watching the X-Men cartoon, but I never really read the X-Men comic. I just I never knew where to get on. My interest was never in the words or the stories. It was always the images mm-hmm. and and the art.
0: Well, it would, the action sequences in Kali, they had that feel that I – it gave me a feeling that I would get reading Frank Miller Daredevil where those fight scenes, the beats in
1: them, you, f- yes. you,
0: you feel them. You want to pay the attention. Elect the,
1: like Electra, the ninjas in the graveyard. I forget which book that's from where it's like, I think it's like two panels per page. And it's like, they're just, it's a, I think it's Electra and some ninjas in a graveyard. I mean, that stuff has stuck with me forever. There's also this panel of Daredevil. It's like a tall panel where he's like walking down a staircase and there's like eight, you know, eight different Matt Murdoch's walking down the staircase. Um, these are like famous images that have like, you know, they're stuck in my head. And, and you know, I eventually did get around to like reading Born Again um and Electra lives and all that stuff and it's great but again for me it's like it all is about the, the images and what those like evoked for me um, and they've stayed with me to this day you know 20 30 years
0: yeah when you when I think it is one of the most interesting things about comic book storytelling that that transition of time that the writer and artist are in control of that is very unique because it's from one end of the page to the other and it could, you could do so much or so little, but it means so much to what you're supposed to, the, the way you're going to evoke that feeling. And when the artist and writer don't get it right, you get out of the story. Especially if you're like, what am I supposed to follow? But with Kali, you're knowing each, oh, she got that knife from there and used it here and used the gun that way. Like, you, you got every motion as though you could see it happen. It was pitch perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, again, like, you know, uh, I think having that the editing background and like really looking for that connective tissue uh, informed a lot of that. I mean, you know, my, I tend to write pretty detailed scripts. I break everything down panel by panel, um, you know, which I, I think is much closer to like the way manga is written than the way American books are written. Um, you know, I've seen Marvel scripts from when I was working there and like, you know, you're not getting a lot of like panel direction. You're getting like a scene outline. Um, and so I think a a lot of the time there's like a disconnect between the writing and the art in a lot of books that, that, you know, just makes me kind of sad because it's like, there's so much opportunity for things to be so great. And I think because of a lot of like the commercial, uh, and scheduling necessities, like things don't, aren't always as good as they could be. Right. Um, And, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, there's also this like thing that goes on, like at least when I was at Marvel, I don't think I'm ever going to work there again so I can talk about it. But (laughs) but, like they don't let, they don't like when the writer and the artist and they don't, they keep everyone separate. You know, they want to have this like pipeline where like, you know, I, I guess the editor is in charge and they talk to the writer, they talk to the artist, they talk to the colorist, but they don't like anyone talking to each other. And so it just, you know... It's like they don't – it's like the work could be so much better if they just let people work together, but they want to have this like control over all of it. And so that corporatization, it, when,
0: it, it It. You can feel it though even in the way that when you get these books, like it's not as personal as when it was in the 80s where that yeah, collaboration I mean, yeah. is felt.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, you know, Tom and I used to share a works like a a studio space together, and we would be working on like, you know, Marvel stuff, like we did Daredevil Noir and some Punisher books and Wolverine, and you know, he would be talking to the editor and I would be talking to the editor separately. But the editor, I don't know if they even realized that like Tom and I were sitting together the whole time, um, you know, and basically work, you know, looking over each other's shoulder and talking about everything as we did it, Um, and so you know again it's always just been about like how good how good can we make the art and like develop the craft and attention to detail and i think a lot of that gets lost when like people can't communicate i mean you're talking about like a collaborative like it's a co- collaboration between two people like or you know two or three people a writer or artist and a colorist and if those that small team can't communicate um or is, you know, kept at bay from each other. It's like, how are they supposed to uh, produce amazing work when yeah. they're all kind of working in the dark?
0: Yeah. And and you you get a sense now, too, like it really is so much more of a pipeline because of the success of the movies and, and the reach that those have where everything is just now feeding into this thing where you're not quite as surprised by the creative choices And directions, you just kind of see them coming. It's like, okay, so this is what they're gonna do in the movies because this collection is coming out. Like they, it, there's never that sense of reader first. It's the whole corporate thing has
1: to. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think as soon as Disney bought Marvel and and uh, Star Wars, like they commodified it. I mean, it lost like, not to say that there aren't some good Star Wars and good MCU stuff, but like. All in all, at least from from where I'm sitting, it's like a lot of it feels more like a product than than, than it does like art or soulful or, you know, personal to anybody. It just – it's like you got to just keep pumping out, pumping it out. Yeah.
0: Um, And sometimes they tell stories you don't need to be told. It's like everything we can possibly make, let's just squeeze the juice out of it to the point where it's like – yeah. But I mean – there's a place for all of that, right? Just like the commercial art and the fine art. So we need a little bit of both. Can we talk a little bit about um, Bird King? I don't know how you Yeah, please. Time, yeah. But a I, I, would
1: kill me if we don't. No, we have to. <laughs> we
0: have to. Because honestly, it's very different from Kali, but it's just as good. Like, it's a really good book. Well done. Um,
1: thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And that's uh, Bird King is just volume one. There's a lot more to come. So that's exciting. Um, totally. Totally different kind of story. I mean, it's interesting because they're, you know, they're written seven years apart, and I probably wrote five, six, seven other things in between. Um, and, you know, look, I look at them, and I can kind of see similarities between the, them, but, that, you know, and that's probably just because they come from me. But, um, but yeah, it's a very different beast. Um, it's my first time having, like, time. Like, because we, we you know, like, Crom and I did Raiders, and that's also a single graphic novel. It's like 120 pages. Kali's 137 pages or something. Um, and and so like for me, I, the thing that I've never really had access to is like page count because I've always had to kind of contain these these stories into these, you know, capsules that are able to be, you know, released. And um, And so with Bird King, it's my first time like stretching my legs and like, taking my time essentially and, and trying to kind of craft, a a deeper, larger story. Um, a, you know, more of a exploration of a world and, um, with a deeper lore, deeper mythology. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been really fun. I mean, it's the thing that like, you know, Kram and I have been working on it since the couple months into the pandemic. We just, you know, we hopped on zoom cause he, he's in London and, um, yeah, how we did you guys meet? Kind of, how
0: did you guys connect?
1: So I've met, um, I met most of my collaborators, uh, you know, through the internet, through social media. I mean, I met Robert on t- through Tumblr all the way back in like 2012. I, you know, I reached out to him just because I liked his work, and we started That's talking.
0: See, social um, media can be good for certain things, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, like I, I will, you know talk endless shit about social media but i have to also you know be be grateful and and appreciate like it does allow people to connect from all over the world like yeah. you know most of the people i'm working with are in europe um and i never would have been able to meet those people or work with them before social media um you know except maybe at a convention but then that's you know that's you know pretty Slim chances there. So, I met Crom through Instagram. I reached out to him. Um, I'd been following his work for a while. I thought he was great, and you know, I've been developing the, the the story for Raiders, and I reached out to him, and I just said, you know, would you be interested in this? And I sent him like a pitch, um, like an outline, and he he liked it. And I guess he had been approached by other people, and hadn't real nothing had really resonated with him, and so I was happy that he dug Raiders, and that was the beginning of of our working relationship and um you know he'd been drawing the bird king character for well over a year or two on his you know just on instagram just kind of developing the character just the design of bird king and um you know a few months after we finished raiders um i mean he had told me he wanted to do this thing called bird king and um you know i had kind of you know offered to help him develop the story and he came to me after a few months and just said you know i'll Raiders worked out so well, like you should just come aboard and and kind of invited me to, uh, you know, write the story of Bird King. Um, And because the character had been gaining a lot of traction and um, people were really digging it. So it was kind of
0: just based off his design.
1: Yeah, just the just the literal design of the character. Um, You know, it it does have an appeal,
0: like just the cover of it when you see it in the book, like there's something about it that draws the eye to it. I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to figure it out either. My uh, my dad likes to comment his little tiny head is what makes him so funny, but because um, <laughs> he's got this huge suit of armor on, and his head's all small. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is just something, like, he just, he just, um, you know, again, I think great design, it just works, and, you know, Krom developed him over an extended period of time, and he got him to a place where he just He just works. He just feels alive and he feels like a character with a huge story, uh, even before he had one. And um, and so, yeah, Crom and I started developing the story and um, we've basically been working on it nonstop since. Uh, We're about halfway through the second volume right now. um, And it's been going great. Um, How many
0: volumes do you plan? Do you plan it to be?
1: Originally, we planned for three, and um, I think we might end up having four. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, we'll 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 see. It's um, you know I I I have an outline for the whole thing um, because for me, if like you don't know what the ending is, how can you know what the beginning and middle are? And so I have an outline, but you know, in classic like George R R. Martin, you know, style, it keeps getting longer as we actually do the do the actual pages and. Um, you know, as we get into the kind of like yeah. actual beats, you know, there's just so much meat to chew on. And like, I would even before we started talking, you know, this we started talking and having this podcast, like, I was talking to Crom, and I was telling him how, like, I'm having a really hard time containing like the kind of <laughs> finale of the second volume to like the, the page count that we had originally set because it's just like it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And it's like there's just so much cool stuff we could do. Um, and it's like, I'm having to kind of like, you know, force myself to like rein it in because otherwise we'll just, the book will we'll never get done if I, if I have it my way. We'll just Yeah, just they still got to
0: draw it, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's a lot easier to write a big, crazy action sequence than it is to draw it. So, um, I'm trying to be, uh, kind to him in that way.
0: <laughs> what are, what are some of the things that you appreciate about Krom's, uh, art and storytelling? Because it, Again, it's very different from what you see in Kali, but it's the right art for the story you're telling. It, it, it's married to each other well.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think, you know, similar to Robert, all, all, albeit quite different in execution, it's that attention to detail. Um, you know, there's so much – Crom puts so much thought into like every little, you know, decal and talisman and – and uh, item, item, uh, description, not description, but like, you know, design. Um, and it's all there for a reason, whether it's something I've come up with or he comes up with, like everything is just given that consideration. Um, and you know, I also really love his, like, uh, you know, the, um, the emotion that he can get out of his characters and like, you know, it, it has a more of an animated quality. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's just something so kind of Emotionally resonant and evocative about it, and that's you know something we've really tried to kind of do with with Bianca. Um, you got the you know
0: in your in your hand there.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the book. <laughs>
0: give give, give yeah. us the synopsis.
1: Um, all right, again, I'm just going to read the back because otherwise I will ramble. Um, <laughs> Bianca, teenage apprentice to an infamous arcane blacksmith, is forced to flee her homeland and seek out Atlas a fabled land of light ruled by the clean God. She is joined by a mysterious guardian spirit known only as the bird king. Together, they will have to overcome dozens of enemies to reach Atlas and along the way unravel the mystery of the bird king and their ancestral connection. Yeah, it's
0: a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Um, what, what was the mythology that helped ins- that what you were feeding into that inspired this? Was there any or was it just an amalgamation of little this, little bit of that? Cause it does have more of that, I don't know, Game of Thrones, Norse mythology sort of feel to it.
1: Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, not not a Game of Thrones or or even Norse mythology, but one of the things that uh, while we were doing Raiders, um, I had kind of I had grown up being a pretty big gamer, and then you know at some point stopped playing video games. I missed like I never had like the entire like PS three generation of games. Like I totally missed. And um, and Crom was shocked to find out I had never played uh, Dark Souls, oh, okay. and so he was like, "You have to play Dark Souls." I, you know, he just figured, of course, I had played Dark Souls. And um, so I played, you know, Dark Souls, and then I played. I you know, I worked my way over 2020 through all the From Software games, and it just you know pulled me back into to gaming, but but only to play the From Software games. Like they've ruined video games for me because they're I can't play anything else after playing those games. And again, it's that attention to detail and the like aesthetic depth and, and, um, there's just, you know, the thing that I, that I've taken from those games, um, is the idea of like environmental storytelling and trying to tell your story with your environments, um, more than, you know, exposition or dialogue, like letting the actual setting in the world tell you the story and let the images speak for themselves. Cause, um, that's, so, you know, while you play the game, there's so much of the story is, you know, intued or, uh, you know, up to the to the player to kind of, you know, to come up with their own their own uh, interpretation. And, you know, of course now you know, on YouTube, there's like all these like lore videos people do, and those help tremendously in understanding it all. But I didn't, you know, for my first couple of games, I was just trying to figure out my own interpretation of these games because they, they don't tell you much. Um, but they do give you all the information. They just don't tell you anything. And I really, really liked that. Um, and so that was definitely something I wanted to bring into Bird King was like telling, the, you know, the, more of that environmental storytelling. Um, and so, you know, I think as far as Crom and I are concerned, kind of our two touch points are like what I call the two Miyazakis, you know, Hidetaka Miyazaki and Hayao Miyazaki. Um, you know, having this mix of like you know, Dark Souls and like Princess Mononoke, and those both of those guys, like oeuvres, are like very much an influence on both of us. Um, and then I'm a huge like reader of fantasy novels, Mm. and um, and so for me, like, I guess the two I, I would say the two books or series that have kind of inspired or influenced some of this, um, is would be Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. And then the Black Company series by Michael and Cook, um, which I'm still working through all 10 books, but, um, both of those are just like unbelievably great fantasy series and totally different. Um, you know, again, like book of the new Sun is like very, uh, unclear. It's a total mystery. It's like a riddle. Like you, you, you know, there are people still 40 years later trying to figure out what the hell happened in these books,
0: um,
1: <laughs> And it's, like, part of the enjoyment. And not everyone likes it, but but what I have liked about it and what I think other people who enjoy Jane Wolf, they get out of it is, like, that that extra layer of, like, trying to peel back this onion and figure out what's actually happening in this story um, and not being spoon-fed everything. And then the Black Company series is just the, like, the most awesome heavy metal dark fantasy thing I've ever read. Um, it's just, it, it's a 10-book series that tracks, like, I think a 40 year period of like, I'm probably getting the, that number wrong, but it's like this period of time where you just follow this mercenary army um, through this dark fantasy world. And uh, it plays with a lot of like the kind of classical like tropes of like the, the evil king and all this kind of evil queen, but like does something totally different with them. It approaches all of the classic fantasy stuff like from the ground because you're like, you're in the trenches with this like mercenary army. Um, and so you're getting this like high fantasy, dark fantasy world, but like from this like ground, like grunt level perspective. Um, it just, and it just, you know, it makes it realer in that way or, you know, emotionally resonant um, in a way that like I think a lot of high fantasy doesn't get because you don't have a way to relate to it. And so I know a lot of like actual like soldiers, military people like these books because it, they're kind of written in that that type of tone of like being on the ground. Um, And so, you know, the Miyazaki's and those two authors have kind of, I think are, are my kind of influences on, on bird King. So um, a lot, a lot of different stuff.
0: (laughs) There's a simplicity to it, but there's, but there's a depth as well. Like there isn't an overabundance of characters, but you care about these characters quite quickly, even even in, in Kali, the way that you know who you don't like very quickly, but it's earned. It's not just spoon-fed to you. And it's hard to describe it unless you just go through the pages and, and engage with these characters. You you gain a natural inkling towards Bianca. And you have a reverence for her master, Thorner, right? Her protector, <clears throat> her her mentor. And... You, you see that there's a certain level of respect. He's a little bit harsh, but you're rooting for them. And you don't really know the whole world. You don't know, like, the some of the characters in it, like Agul. I don't know much about him. I'm hoping to learn more as the stories go on. Like, I, I like that it was left on that cliffhanger to make me go, like, I, I want to know who, who this guy is now. Now what? As yeah, what I, as it yeah, was, yeah. right? Sorry.
1: Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I always told Krom, like, the goal of Volume 1 is to, like, just hook the reader, like just get them emotionally invested and get them like engaged with the story that they'll want to come back for the next volume. Um, so like, you know, I'm happy to hear that like, you know people have connected with Bianca and Bird King and Thornier and the rest of the, the cast because I mean that was the intention was to like, again, find a way for the reader to like connect with these characters and relate to them. Um, and yeah, and get them to care. I mean, getting, getting a reader to care about a character is like kind of what the whole point of writing is.
0: I think Um, so. I think sometimes (laughs) like today, and what I like about both stories, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to say this when you were speaking about those novels that you were referring to, that they don't spoon feed you. And like, it feels a lot nowadays, there's, there's always a message being spoon fed. Like it's, it's nicer to read a book where it's a, it's a revenge story. Like, what does this mean for you in your life? I'm not going to tell you why these are the fascists or why they're like, I'm not going to give you all of those details of what they stand for. Good guys, bad guys. Where do you, how do you relate? And it's more relatable that way.
1: Exactly. I mean, I, I think that like, especially like with, like with Kali, like, you know, the machine is undefined on purpose. I've seen some people be like, oh, I really want more. I want to know how they came to power and all this stuff. And it's like the whole idea is that like there needs to be that tension there and that space between the reader and the work so that they can like essentially project their own themselves into the story. And so like the machine is somewhat ambiguous as to like where it came from and what it is. And that's on purpose because I want the reader to project what their interpretation of the machine is. What, what do they see as like you know, authoritarian and, and, and what is their own relationship with that? Because it's, I'm not trying to tell, you know, people one thing or another, you know, politically or anything. I'm not interested in that. Like I want people to kind of think more about their own relationship to themselves and the world and these other forces. And so I, you know, I think there has to be that space. And again, that uh, some of that probably comes from like, or something I've identified like in the From Software games is like, that's, that that space, that ambiguity, um, you know, that where the, where the reader or the player or, or the, you know, viewer gets to project themselves into the story and make it their own in that way.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's,
1: that's yeah, I, very I, much on purpose.
0: And uh, I appreciate I have, that. Yeah. That's something I do because it's, it's been lost, it feels like, when you're reading, I, I grew up being a superhero fan. I love mm-hmm. Marvel and DC, but I, I also love the other companies that, create her own stuff but now it's like anything that's being made today people think like well you don't like modern comics i do but i like it when it's not from there anymore because Mm -hmm. it's i want that ambiguity i want a story like lady killers it's a wonderful comic she's a murderer i'm kind of rooting for her because the story is just a great experience i don't want her i don't like a murdering person but it's engaging with the story, and that's what we what people want, right? It's kind of been lost a little bit, well, a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to create the books that I would want to read, yes. um, and so that you know, I'm I'm looking for great art, great action, a really cool world, and like you know, something that I can emotionally you know relate to in some way or, or care about. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I do think, like, you know, across the board these days, that stuff's getting harder and harder to find. Um, and so I have my own opinions about that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> but um, just in terms of, like, the quality of, of writing these days and in, in all the different mediums, I'm just kind of like, why is it so hard? Why, why is there so such little good writing? Um, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, no it's true though so, yeah, because things yeah. have to have like a, a tag to it you need it to fit under some sort of label whereas I, I don't feel Callie or even Bird King have, other than an age of who should read or not read it that's it because of the, the content like a rated R movie or a PG-13 but other than that it's it has no slant it's just kick-ass females who are in an awesome adventure One's on a revenge mission; the other one's on a journey, perhaps revenge, all kinds of discovery. A question I have before I forget: both stories have kick-ass female characters. Was that just you? Do you enjoy writing? Did you find that it's better for the story to be told from a female's perspective, or was it always like that?
1: Uh, there's no like grand plan or or, or intention behind that. Um, like I said, between Kali and Bird King, I wrote five or six other things. Some of them had female protagonists, some had male. Um, it's just kind of what suits the story. Um, I mean, with Kali, you know, Robert likes to draw girls and he's fantastic at drawing girls. So, of Definitely. course, you know, Kali was going to be a woman. And and um, when Crom came to me with Bird King, he also had the Bianca character designed. And so, you know, he kind of brought me um you know, three or four characters. Um and and so Bird King was always about Bird King and Bianca. And so I you know, I had to take those two characters and those designs and work with those. And so, you know, it's not necessarily my uh it wasn't like my choice or, or my intention to like, you know, create these only for these female characters. They just happened to turn out to be women. Um or, you know, one's a woman and one's a girl. And um so yeah, I mean you know, and i I treat my female characters the exact same way I treat my male characters. I mean they're they're all people um and they all have their own desires and issues and and so I don't really delineate between those two. Um, it's not it's not something that's like I'm doing on purpose or have some kind of uh, angle. Um, it doesn't feel just, like
0: that yeah. for the record like when you read it, it's like. You want these characters just who they are, like they're just perfectly crafted. It makes sense in in the case of you and Crom, that like he kind of had this idea being put together in his head already, and you came to kind of help shepherd it and help him put the pieces in place, and then you create it together. So it it all seems very organic, but there are it, there are times where um, like someone like Greg Rucka, he's just very good <clears throat> at writing. Strong female leads. It's almost like I prefer him doing that. And maybe I didn't know if you had a penchant for just saying I like writing a strong female character.
1: Well, I mean, you know, Undying Love has. I mean, it's a it's a it's a duo, male female couple at the at the head. But it's essentially a you know, John Sargent's the hero, and then in Raiders, it's about two brothers. And so, you know, of my those four books, two are about women and two are about men. So it's just, um, again, it's just about the story and the character. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't, I don't set out with like, I'm going to write a strong female story or this or that. It's just, um, just kind of, yeah, it develops organically. And, and I don't know, the story tells you, or the character tells you who they are in a way. Um,
0: Right. I agree. And it feels that way when you read it. Uh, Thorner. Or Thoner, mm-hmm. the Hammer of the North. Where did you Where did you discover him? Was that um, already? So he
1: was, he, yeah. Crom also. So Crom brought me Bird King, Bianca, Thornir, and um, he, we hadn't designed him yet. But the character of a ghoul, like he was the bad guy. Got it. Um, he was the necromancer of the North, and so um, he kind of brought me those four. I believe it was those four characters, um, and. He had sort of tried to kind of write uh, he started working on the Bird King comic and um, I don't know, I guess he kind of hit a wall and, and um, you know, that's when he kind of came to me and we started talking about, you know, and so I kind of took those characters and for the most part started from scratch on on them and, and the story and um, and kind of tried to build on what he had already, was thinking and, 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 you know, some of the backgrounds of them. And, um, so yeah, he, he came to me with Thornier and so I, yeah, he kind of set me with these characters and then I had to figure out what the story was. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, a, you know, every project is unique in that way. Um, like when I started working with Robert, the way I convinced him to like do a book because he's, was always very adamant about like, I can't do a comic. I don't have the time. It's not something I can commit to. He gets asked, You know, all the time from all different kinds of people, you know, really big writers, novelists, you know, comic book companies. They all everyone wants him to do something and he has to pass on everything because either it doesn't interest him or he doesn't have the time um, because, it. you know, he has a full time gig making video games and. um and and so, I really you know, hope you guys collaborate of, again.
0: Sorry to cut you off, but I really hope oh, you yeah, can no, collaborate we. Oh, well, yeah, no, we definitely are. I, okay, we definitely good, are. Good, We're good. working on
1: something now that's going to be very, very cool. That's um, cool. That hopefully will get done within, I'm hoping, this very, very, like, the next couple months. Because it's kind of a shorter, much shorter project. And, um, But um, what, the way I kind of convinced him to do a book was I said, you know, you tell me what you want to draw and I'll write a story, and it takes as long as it takes. Like we won't have a schedule, we won't have any, we won't worry about bringing it to anyone or showing it. To, we'll just do it. And you know, he said he wanted to draw girls on bikes, um, and so that's that's where it all started. Perfect. You know, with the whole kind of setting the tone, and then with Bird King, Crom came to me with the, you know, that the first couple characters and. You know, so every project is its own has its own unique beginning. Again, it's the going back to the beginning of our conversation about like taking advantage of opportunities when they pop up. Like, you know, when when an artist says they want to draw something, like that's what you write for them because that's you're going to get the best work out of them because that's what they want to actually be drawing, um, as opposed to a job where they're doing something because they're being paid. Um, you know, and whether or not they like it or they're happy to do it for the money, it's still not you know. Where their heart is, um, and so yeah, always trying to hone in on like where the heart is. What's the where's the passion? What do you really want to do? Um, because that's going to again create the best work. So, um, yeah, every book has its own beginning. Um, sometimes it's you know it starts with me. Sometimes it starts with the artist, and or, or you know some come kind of commingling of the two.
0: Yeah, well the collaborations. It's it's just the right both pairings. It, uh, it feels like the right cast that are working on a book together, which I think is really what matters to, to begin a project is that proper pairing of collaboration. And I think you both your artists suit your writing style and you complement them because you don't overly write it's not you're not worried about getting your prose in to show how well you can write. Some of the the best writing that's done is when you let the character just, taken by the artist and it's like wow that was a good it see it felt like choices not just an editorial
1: thing yeah well i hate i hate exposition i hate dialogue dumps like i hate you know it sounds funny but like i don't like reading comics like i like looking at the pictures and Mm -hmm. i like seeing the story told visually um you know and that comes again back to my editing and like film background like i'm interested in what 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 an image can tell you and visual storytelling and like the kinetic, you know, relationship between image and sound, and um, it's and funny because so, yeah, like mean, an
0: art director in a way. It's like you know what, how that artist, you, it's, you give them the complete freedom to draw it because you trust them. But you're you that editing background is like you got that art director in you. It's like let it do this, go this way, and then it'll work.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I you know, and not to take anything away from them because they're the ones creating the images, but like. You know, I have to have the vision for what it is—not just the story and the world and all of the kind of narrative stuff—but like, you know, when I write, I write the pictures, like I write the images, the sequential right. images, right? Because I'm interested in this in the storytelling, and so, you know, whether it's what w- whatever kind of shot it is or or the tissue between them, like, that's yeah. And you know, if I if I if I wanted to write more, I write a book. <laughs> um, which I, you know, which I am, I'm working on some pros, but like, that's kind of a newer thing for me. I mean, when it comes to comics, like it's all about the pictures and I want the pictures to tell as much of the story as they can. Like Kali used to have a lot more dialogue in it and I just kept cutting it back and back and back because I was like, we don't need it. The pictures tell you everything. Like, um, and I'm not, I don't want to sit here and like tell the reader what to think or what something is like, I just want them to experience it.
0: The only, only reason I would have wanted more dialogue in it was because it would have taken me longer to read it.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, the only thing is, like, reason. Because I didn't want it to you end. Want an image, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the only reason. Yeah. But when, when it wasn't there and I'm like, man, I'm almost done this thing. I was like, but this is how it should be. Like, not having words. You didn't need words there. That's well written.
1: I agree. I agree. You didn't need the words. Um you know, and something like Bird King does have a lot more words, but I'm also not, you know, you know, the whole idea is like within the story, Bianca doesn't know almost anything. Like she's been kept in the darkest to like everything around her, you know, as, as Thornier's tried to protect her by keeping her kind of ignorant of the greater world. And so now she's setting out to, you know, explore this like dangerous and dark world and she doesn't know what anything is. And she so she's learning as much as the reader's learning. Um, you know step by step and discovering things um, you know I would hate to like sit there in the beginning and like tell the reader everything about the world because mm-hmm. then you just take all the mystery and all the life and all the energy out of it
0: yeah um, it's like when people say what's happening in the first acts like well who's that and what's ha-? like we don't know we're gonna learn that's the whole point of this journey is we're gonna go with the character and, and discover with them and when they're scared we'll be scared
1: yeah exactly
0: um in bird king Chapter five. I have one more question for you, if that's okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a quote about magical weapons and magical makers. What's the that last? What is your magical weapon, or what was the last magical weapon you added to your arsenal? Metaphorically, um, of course.
1: I mean, I guess metaphorically, it would be the the idea of environmental storytelling, and and you know, really leaning. I think with each of my my books, I've like leaned more into trusting in the experience of reading the book versus or i should say trusting in the experience of seeing the book versus reading it and you know gaining the confidence or the trust that like you know the reader is going to be able to uh get engaged invested and and want to go on the ride and you know i think so much of the time we like Second-guess ourselves that people aren't going to be know what's going on or get lost, and so we, you know, will over-explain or uh, try to tell the reader what to think or feel. And when you do that, you just lose them. You know, it's the same thing in TV and film these days. Like when I look at TV shows now, or even most movies, like so much of the storytelling is being done by two people sitting there talking, um, and. What I live for and what I'm interested in is like the experience, the action, the like the journey, the discovery. And so, um, yeah, trusting in that and embracing the, the ambiguity or the mystery of it all, um, that that's the fun part is not knowing.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you, uh, you accomplished that with both of your projects. Daniel, I really enjoyed your books. I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, was, it was Thank pleasure. you so
1: much. Yeah. Do you have anything I mean, you'd again, like to
0: plug before, uh, before we wrap up here?
1: Um, let's see. Today they uh, announced there's going to be a Bird King statue from uh, Mighty Jux or Mighty Jax. Um, so Very you can go cool. on Instagram, cool. look up Crom or uh, mine or Mighty Jack's profile to check out the Bird King statue. It's looking really cool. I think pre-orders are going to go live pretty soon. Um, other than that, I mean, Kali, Bird King. Uh, for people who haven't, you know, discovered Raiders yet, go find Raiders. And um, and yeah, I don't know. There's some stuff coming out next year, but it's not not really ready to talk about yet. But um, I'll bug you when it is.
0: Yeah, I'd love to have you back on. I'd love to talk to you again. It was a real joy. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for you know the support and uh, posting about the books and all that. It's it's um, you know again. I most of these. These things I do, kind of in in uh, in a cave, and so you know, coming out to the sun and sending them out into the world. It's it's um, it it just feels really good to know that people are enjoying them. So so thank you for helping with all that, and yeah, it's been great to talk to you.
0: It's it's been well deserved. Uh, everyone listening, be sure to check out those books, Kali Bird King from Dark Horse. Dark Horse, you guys are making some of the probably making the best books all around in comics right now. So good on you guys. Uh, Rate and review the show, follow us on Omniverse Comics Guide, as well as uh, Cave of Solitude. We'll be back soon with more interviews, top tens, and all kinds of fun stuff. Bye, everybody.